Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. Raquel has spent nearly two decades helping bring together the diverse coalition of voters that turned our state blue. She was a critical part of my election, but also the elections of Democrats up and down the entire ticket. We want to partner with all like-minded sheriffs and governors around the country uh, to create a, a coalition of people that actually do have the will uh, to fight back against this problem. We've gotten 30,000 crank calls and, e- and crank emails, um, but this does not deter us. There is always going to be public perspective that people who are incarcerated don't deserve. They don't deserve any opportunities, access to things, and that is, that's a perspective. But if we're going to reduce future victims, if we're going to reduce recidivism, the only way to do that while they're incarcerated with us is we have to invest the resources to do that. I will walk with integrity. I will always be honest and truthful. I will own my mistakes. No one is perfect. We're all learning and growing and on this journey called Life Together. Um, You have my word at that. And joining me to talk about another round of vetoes from Governor Hobbs, an endorsement in a crowded congressional primary and more, are Marcus Delartino of First Strategic. Good morning, Marcus. Good morning. And Democratic strategist Tony Connie. Hey, Tony. Hello. So, Marcus, let me start with you on the growing uh, primary field for the uh, GOP presidential nomination. We saw uh, Chris Christie, former New Jersey governor, Mike Pence, uh, former Indiana governor, of course, former vice president, get in this week. They still seem to be in the shadow of former President Trump. But I'm wondering how you think that their entries and, you know, sort of where the field is right now, like how do you think Arizona might be going or what what Republican voters might be thinking here? Well, boy, we got so much time before, you know, the the dominoes start to fall. It's hard to say, but I'm cautious to tell everybody this. National polls mean absolutely (laughs) nothing at this point. Um, And the media constantly every single day wants to talk about Trump being ahead in the national polls. The problem is all of that changes instantaneously, like literally overnight uh, in the case of Iowa or New Hampshire. So let's just say for argument's sake that DeSantis ends up winning New Hampshire. Those poll results literally overnight change. Um, and so that's why I continually remind people they really mean nothing uh, at this point. But I think we're going to see a massive amount of these candidates visiting Arizona doing exactly what DeSantis did, go to the border. I mean, Frank, at this point, if you're a Republican running for president and you go to, don't go down to the border, you're going to be in like the shortest race of all time <laughs> during that primary, right? It's, it's, it's just a have-to uh, Well, so we know, Marcus, that uh, former President Trump still has a pretty significant hold over at least the party apparatus in Arizona and a number of elected state lawmakers for sure. In terms of the rank and file, is he still seen as, as super popular? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, there's no doubt that he's, you know, sort of ahead at this point, but there's a long way to go. You know, and you're one, DeSantis is showing up. He's obviously already been here this week. Two, he does have a list of, uh, of legislators that have signed up for the DeSantis campaign. Um, so I think it'll be, um, you know, Arizona will be a hard fought battle going into sort of Iowa and, and New Hampshire. Tony, Mark has mentioned uh, Ron DeSantis, Florida governor, and previously announced a GOP presidential. Uh, candidate. He was in Cochise County uh, just a a day or two ago on the border. Um, 
do you, do you get the sense that it's going to be like maybe they should just install a podium down there for candidates really from both part from all parties who are who are going down there? I think if I was better at business as like a political consultant, I would buy like a studio down there where I have like the uniform that they always wear, <laughs> you know, the same the sh- the shirt with the logo on it. If it's a little bit colder, the brown jacket. You know, I mean, the the, the biggest thing about the the sort of Republican push on immigration reform or whatever they would want to call it in the past several years has just been the showmanship of going uh, to the border. And it's obviously an issue that's important to Republican voters, but I don't know if Republican primary voters are evaluating the potential effectiveness of any of the solutions, maybe in the way that Arizona voters would, at least in these primary states. I think that they want to see in some case, or at least I think consultants think it's a battle over who can kind of be more cruel. And I think that that's shown with uh, you know, DeSantis and, and you know, some of the, 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 the funding the state has done to deport people in, in, in ways where the reporting has been they've been tricked to get on a bus with promises of jobs to be deported to a blue state or somewhere. And so, you know, we'll see how that we'll see how that plays out. But I, I started as a joke that I got really serious about it. Is, it's a, in that way, I think it's very concerning uh, when it comes to sort of the national dialogue on a really important issue. Well, it seems like it's it's not necessarily just Republicans trekking down there, right? Like Kirsten Sinema was down sure. there yeah, yeah. a week or so ago. And Demo- Katie Hobbs has been down there a lot of times. It seems like that. And maybe this is just the perception, but it seems like the border has once again sort of become a main place that that candidates for office have to go. It just becomes a point where, um, you know, political pundits and other candidates and elected officials use whether or not you have gone and put on the hat and looked over the border as a litmus test of whether or not you're taking the issue seriously. And I think you know, to the extent that a lot of politics and governing is theater, I get it. I get why you would want to go down there. I yeah. wouldn't, you know, I don't think it's wrong that the governor and people went, you know, the, but the real test is, are people, is is there any meat to the suggestions that people are making that will actually, you know, be a humane solution to this, uh, you know, to all the migrants um, looking to come to America? Marcus, to the point you made just a moment ago about how this is so early in the process, is it advantageous for DeSantis to be down on the border this early? Like, does the timing on that matter? Yeah, I mean, it, I think it is helpful to him. I think uh, the earlier that these candidates can get to Arizona uh, and start picking up endorsements and start um, earn media, uh, it helps them sort of grow their operation in Arizona. Uh, and the sooner you can do that, the sooner you can move on to sort of at some point here that the, the the switch flip, flips and everybody lives in New Hampshire and yeah. lives in Iowa. Right. I mean they are camped out. So you need to get some of that forward work done in Arizona before you before you shift. I think we probably can't talk about the Republican presidential field without talking about former President Trump who was indicted for the second time in, a, in, in Florida over his handling of classified documents. Um, does this matter to, to voters do you think? I don't – if you are a Trump diehard supporter now, I don't think it changes your mind. As a matter of fact, it probably helps you to double down. Um, But I think that what I've always been sort of looking at is how bogged down does this morass become to a campaign operation? Mm. And – you know, you can always. It's easy to get distracted during a campaign. I mean, sort of. That's what that's what we do. Um, you know, I want to keep Tony's campaign distracted. He mm-hmm. wants to keep mine distracted and keep us off message. Uh, and so, 
when these start to pile up, I mean, this isn't going to be the last time he's in a courtroom. Um, you know, it starts to get easier for voters to to get distracted uh, from the messaging, and you know creates opportunities for these other candidates that are running. Tony, on the Democratic side, what is the, I guess, what's the the play here in terms of maybe trying to tie candidates to Trump, but also understanding that with a lot of voters, he's still really popular and maybe that helps those other candidates? Like, I guess, how do Democrats try to use this in some way to their advantage? Well, you know, I do think that it's very telling about uh, you know, the way Republicans voters view this, that every time one of these <laughs> an indictment or, a, you know, the Mar-a-Lago uh, search that happens at the that that Trump's numbers improve with Republicans. But there's also been a creeping up of people who think that he did do something wrong mm-hmm. that are concerned about him being president. And, you know, and so even though it's going to be you know, there's going to be a big chunk of voters that will never move away from him. We're playing on the margins here, you know, like, uh, you know, Biden won by 20,000 votes. Katie Hobbs won by about, I don't know, 12,000 votes or whatever. I might, I might have reversed those I think two Biden numbers. was about 10. Or yeah, like I think 10, I reversed yeah. those two numbers. Um, and so you do want to attach them. I mean, and I think what it comes down to is priorities, right? And so what you can do is say, hey, look, Carrie Lake wants to be United States senator, but the very first thing she did when Trump got, you know, indicted is she went down to Mar-a-Lago and put on a T-shirt that said war on it, right? Like why isn't she focusing on issues that matter? And so I do think that – and there's also internally to the party, at least on right-wing social, it's another one of these litmus tests about what it is that you're willing to say. Um, and, and I think that, that uh, for the Republicans, like, are you willing to back up Trump? And I think that that pressure is going to put some of these candidates in untenable positions to defend themselves uh, and to try and create some distance between them and Trump because the, the independent voters and some of the moderate Republicans, they, they do not like Trump. And it's, I think that's going to be an issue. Tony, let me ask you about a question a little bit further down the ballot. Also on national politics, though, we saw this week that U.S. Senator Mark Kelly endorsed Raquel Tehran in a pretty crowded primary, mm-hmm. uh, congressional Democratic primary, in a very safe Congress, uh, Democratic district to replace Ruben Gallego, who's, of course, running for U.S. Senate. I'm curious what you made of this endorsement, especially the timing of it, because to Marx's point, it's still really early. I think I think it was an important endorsement. I think it's very good for for Raquel that 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 Kelly endorsed and and the reason isn't nece- isn't because of vote choice. I do think it will influence some people that are trying to make up their mind. But really, you know, Raquel, this is going to provide a big fundraising boost for her. It's going to allow some of the larger mid-sized kind of like don't, people who write like a $1000 check or a $500 check. They they I think they're going to see her as a more reliable investment than maybe before. Mm. And one thing to keep in mind is that uh, Tehran is in a primary against two members of the Phoenix City Council, and you know a, a, a reality of the situation is, is when you're on a Phoenix when you're on a city council, you have a natural base of donors, developers, people who are trying to get things done in your city, and so they already have a little bit of a fundraising advantage just due to their position. And so I do think that this announcement coming when it did was a way to help, um, you know, uh, Senator Tehran. Uh, you know, d- get a little bit more credibility with donors because I think she's a, a very, very strong candidate, and I think the timing was very smart. Yeah, Marcus, wh- were you, what do you make about the, especially the fundraising aspect of it? Because Mark Kelly, if he is known for, I mean, he's known for a lot of things, obviously, but fundraising and fundraising a lot of money is certainly one of them. Yeah, there is no doubt about that. Um, I would, you know, I I knew that 
I suspected this was coming. That's probably a better way uh, okay. to put it. Um, but here's what it does. It signals to those DC PACs uh, mm-hmm. or you know, special interests, if you want to call them what they are, <laughs> uh, hey, she's my gal and I'd appreciate you sending her a check. And, and, and I think that's how it's going to go. Um, it, you know, she's going to be the talk of the town in D.C. I'm, sure, I'm assuming she's going to fly out and do a couple fundraisers out there. And I'm sure his operation will be more than happy to help her out put that together. And one thing I want to say too is that Mark Kelly has a fantastic political operation. We've seen it over the last two elections. And, you know, and there's real value in that too is that it, aside from fundraising, he – has done an unbelievably good job reaching out and talking to voters. Um, and so I think that that's another benefit for uh, a benefit for Tron. All right. That is Tony Connie, also joined by Marcus Delartino. I'm Mark Brody in Phoenix. Marcus, the legislature has been not in session for a little while, but Governor Hobbs is keeping busy, or at least her veto pen is keeping busy with uh, a few more this week. She's now crossed the triple digit threshold, which is that's a lot of veto. That's a lot of bills to veto in one year. Um, talk. Let's talk about a couple that she uh, vetoed uh, this week, including a, a basically a, a revised "quote unquote" bathroom bill uh, for schools. One that um, she called sort of a backdoor way to ban books, but also dealt with uh, filming sort of explicit content in schools. Anything that she vetoed this week that you found surprising that she that she said no thanks to? No, absolutely not. But here's what's most important in there is that I've got a side bet that her total would be at 120. Ooh, getting um, close. So, Governor, if you could come in at 119, <laughs> that would that it's would like help Price Daddy right rules. You buy a new pair of shoes for some kiddos. <laughs> um, I think, and by the way, she, I, I'm pretty sure she's going to exceed 120. I think I'm out of the money race on this one. Uh, but I don't think that there were any surprises here. The 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 second one that you mentioned, sort of an interesting uh, story, in that you know there was a teacher in Mojave County that decided to film in uh, what would we call that an adult movie would be I the cleanest way I can put it in a classroom a couple years ago, and that was sort of targeted at that. But it's already illegal under current state statute, so this was sort of a an add-on to that. Uh, but I don't think anybody was surprised that she would write a veto letter that essentially says it's already illegal. Like, we don't need to add more to the statutes. Yeah. Tony, I mean, some of these are sort of the the so-called culture war bills, like the bathroom bill, that kind of thing. But there's also a bill dealing with uh, homeless encampments, things like that. Like, there's still some big issues left to deal with that the governor would like to sign. But, I mean, do you get the sense that, that there are more vetoes yet to come? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think more vetoes will come. And part of the reason is because, and I think you sort of alluded to it, is that the Republican leadership sort of has two types of bills. They have the one bill, which is going to keep their base happy on the culture war things that, you know, regular voters, you know, don't really care about. And then they have another bill, which is, you know, the type of bill, which is where they're throwing something out there to try and get a sound bite, something they could put in a TV ad. And so as a result, there's been a ton of vetoes because there's been not a lot of serious proposals coming out of the legislature. And when they have been a serious proposal, I think that the governor has operated in good faith and and signed it. And I think one thing that on some of these issues where she is supportive, a thing that a message that the legislature should be getting is if if you're if you're legislating a solution to a problem, but you're not providing the funding or you're not figuring out some way to actually offset costs, that she's going to veto it. And so part of it is you need to 
get this together. You need to do it right. But yeah, there's going to be more vetoes. Well, part of it's just the process. You know, these are the bills that are coming in later in the process, mm. which means that these are the bills that ran into problems early in the process. There's a reason that they had problems and they needed amendments. Have those amendments been worked out? Have they been negotiated? So traditionally, when you get to this point later in the session, that these are sort of the problem child bills. Um, <laughs> and so that would lead 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 to the conclusion that there'll be more vetoes. Well, traditionally, at this point of the session, the session's getting close to be done, right? Uh yeah. Well, we sh technically we should have been done in May, but um, you know there was some technical problems, as they like to say. <laughs> yeah. Some some members uh, planned some family vacations when uh, when we don't, Republicans only have a one seat majority, so yeah. it sort of stalls the process. One of the other things uh, going down, some lawmakers have been keeping busy for sure. We saw the uh, committee that's vetting the governor's nominees to lead state agencies meet a couple of times this week. One of the sort of the, the headliner was Ryan Thornell, the nominee to lead the Department of Corrections, Rehabilitation and Reentry. And that was a fairly lengthy conversation. But in the end, uh, Tony, he got unanimous support. Yeah, that's great. You know, I, I think that there are so many of these nominees that aren't getting a fair shake from this committee, which is another sort of, in, you know, been sort of a stunt show, uh, you know, committee for uh, Senator Hoffman, the founder of the Freedom Caucus um, in Arizona, um, but yeah, that it was great. I mean, that's a that is a position that needs to be filled with a serious thinker that is willing to try new things. Uh, it's a politically sensitive topic, both when it comes to you know crime and when it comes to the rising cost of our prison system. You know, there's some. Uh, reforms that most other states have done that Arizona has not done yet that would help, re you know, reduce recidivism because one of the biggest problems is people uh, who may have attempted to be rehabilitated, rehabilitated in prison, they get out and then all of a sudden they can't get a job. There's a bunch of terrible, you know, it's it's, it's horrible and then they, mm -hmm. they recommit and so they commit again, they're back in the system and it's, it's very costly both from like a, a, a tragic perspective for the crime victims and the people who are recommitting and for, uh, you know, and on taxes. And so I'm, I'm glad that they got through. I don't know if they're going to be this fair with some of these other nominees that are coming up. And I think that there's a lot of speculation that this is the reason why the Senate won't adjourn is they want to give Hoffman the ability to continue this, you know, this sort of this committee. Um, but we, but you know, it's kind of a silly process, I think. I mean, we should be ha – these people should be confirmed unless something really bad is out there. They need to be confirmed because we just need people running our agencies. We well, Mark is still in charge. Sorry, Tony. Mark, is still a lot of nominees yet to even go before this committee. Do you get the sense that, that all of them will get a hearing and get a vote in the Senate before they finally do adjourn? Oh, probably not all of them. But keep in mind, that's a lot of, uh, a lot of appointments to be made. I think the – Takeaway for me, at least on on this one, having to do with Department of Corrections, was uh, you know initially he was endorsed by the ACLU, and for Republicans that's like the punch in the face. <laughs> so for him to walk out on a five zero uh, after being endorsed by the ACLU says a lot, sort of about the the fairness there uh, of the process. Um, I would say just technically, just on a pure technical basis. It's a difficult to get that many nominees sort of done by what is assumed to be August now is when we're looking at signy die. So, wow. you know, uh, Monday, Tuesday, the legislature will come into session. They'll pass as many bills, get them moving as much as humanly possible. 
Um, and I think that that'll sort of signal we are at the end or close to the end. Um, and then August, it, it looks like would be the uh, official signing die date. But there are a number of big issues out there we could be doing in August. I unsure where we are on Prop 400 uh, E as, you know, the extension. Yeah, the um, transportation sales tax. That's a big one and it's still – and it changes on a second-by-second, minute-by-minute basis. So we'll have to see if they get something done by Monday or Tuesday. If not, we could be looking at something in August. Wow. Legislature in August. All right. Hopefully the uh, air conditioning units continue to work <laughs> down there. Um, guys, let's move across sort of the Capitol complex to the Department of Education. We heard from uh, Superintendent of Public Instruction Tom Horn yesterday about his uh, – hotline to for folks to call in or email if there's stuff going on in schools that they think that shouldn't be going on. We heard a clip from him at the top where they got something like 30,000 crank calls and emails, which I guess is probably not totally unexpected. Um, <laughs> Mark is a shot. I predicted it yeah, you on pro- this show. I think you predicted it sitting in that chair. So like wh- based on what we heard about sort of the take away the, the crank stuff, like Anything significant that might lead to changes coming out of what the other stuff that came into that hotline, Marcus? I, I'm doubtful. I think now it's sort of – now that we've gotten to this point where it's 30,000 crank calls, it's sort of – if there were anything to come out of it, it's sort of been lost in translation. Everybody's now focused on the message point that you got 30,000 crank calls from across the United States. Um, and so that sort of neuters the functionality of that. I, there's probably a better way and a better messaging tool to be able to get to where he would like to be. But certainly setting up a 1-800 phone number is not not the way to go. Yeah, Tony, you were mentioning off air that this is not the first one of these types of hotlines that's been set up in Virginia. The governor there set one up and basically had to take it offline. Yeah, and because there was no nothing serious coming through, so you have you have the you know the crank calls, and then this idea that there's some you know in a woke hotline. If a teacher says something woke, you're supposed to call, and then the Department of Education isn't going to go down to the school and punish the teacher or whatever. It's a it's a silly thing. I, w- one thing I was thinking about when you were talking is. I don't think a good way to reduce the number of crank calls is for <laughs> Tom Horn to talk about the number of crank calls. So I think that, you know, the I feel terrible for the people that are so to answer these phones. I'm sure they're going to start getting more uh, people making fun of this. Well, yeah. at the very least, limit the incoming calls to Arizona zip codes. That, that should take your 30,000 calls down to about 300. You think that that few coming from Arizona? I I think that it was you know I think it went out on a bunch of websites and blogs and Twitter and Marcus made three hundred himself. Yeah. I don't <laughs> I don't believe what he said. He doesn't have time. He, for that. Yeah, he wanted to prove himself right on his bet here. So so this is it's interesting because this is an issue that Tom Horn obviously ran on in terms of doing away with what he calls critical race theory and wokeness and all all this sort of thing. And now that we've sort of seen the results, at least from this component of it. Is it still a potent issue for him? Oh, I think the I think the issue is uh, certainly potent, especially for for Republicans. Um, but I just there has to be a better way to sort of deal with it and get to the root of it. I I would argue that you you know you're better off hiring people um, to sort of root these out than than depending on phone calls from. I, let's be honest. I mean, there there is a lot of people <laughs> who's just sit at home coming up with weird things to do and have a phone next to them. And that's that's a large part of what's going on here. Some of it very well may be based in fact um, and may be happening in an Arizona school, which is a really important part of this instead of the school that you're down the street and you live in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've got to sort of root through that and that's why there's got to be a better way to kind of handle this. Tony, you've got 30 seconds left. Um, 
this is obviously an issue that Horn, as we talked about, ran on the legislature has been dealing with. Is there any reason to think this is not going to continue to be an issue leading into next year's elections? No, it's going to continue to be an issue because the Republican policy platform at this point is basically driven by right-wing social media. And so if, if there's people talking about something on right-wing social, it's going to be an issue. And so that's a thing that activists are focusing on. And so whether or not voters at large care is irrelevant. And so they'll keep you know, wasting everybody's time with this stuff. All right. On that happy note, we'll have to leave the conversation <laughs> there. That is Democratic strategist Tony Connie, also Marcus Delartino of First Strategic. Guys, thanks for coming in. Have a good weekend. You too. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.